Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. How much longer will justice be? But every month we do a book club at Red Letter Christians. And tonight is extra special because we've got Caitlin Beatty and her book is Celebrities for Jesus. And the subtitle is really great, Caitlin, so I should read it. How personas, platforms, and prophets are hurting the church. So I'm going to do a little official intro in a minute, but I don't want anybody to miss that. So as folks kind of continue to join in, we got some folks on the Zoom machine here, and I think you can use the chat, y'all. We're going to keep your cameras and stuff off for a second. So the recording... um, is is kind of uh, easy to follow and everything, but there's a few things on the horizon. Uh, there, uh, we're doing our monthly morning prayer, so that's around the corner on May first at nine o'clock in the morning. Folks, kind of around the globe, join for prayer on the first day of each month, and we got a really special guest this month. It is Dr. Vanetta West from the King Center, and she is just incredible. She'll be uh, our prayer partner, but we'll also talk with her for um, a half hour or so. There's a lot of other stuff that we've been doing. I mean, gosh, a lot's happening in our country. So we've been down in Nashville this month. We've got um, some executions, sadly, that are lined up this month. Um, So please keep track of everything happening. There's a little piece of our website where you can take action because we are people of prayer, but also people of action. And Tonight, I've been reading this book, Caitlin. It's just so wonderful. And I'm going to talk to, I want you to tell us why you why you decided to write it in a second. But for y'all that don't know Caitlin, she's been a friend for a while. She's actually helped publish a lot of the books that we've used in book club. Uh, she's the editorial director for Brazos Publishing House. And um, that's one of the many hats that she wears, but they're putting out a lot of really good books. And I don't just say that because they published one of mine, but there's a lot of great friends that have published there. A lot of red letter Christian authors there. And um, so, uh, and, and Caitlin's very transparent. We're going to talk about that too, about some of the, the ways that the publishing industry contributes to this kind of persona and celebrity that is not helpful uh, to this for the sake of the gospel. Uh, but you're also, Caitlin is also doing a podcast with a religion news service saved by the city. Um, she is out there doing all kinds of really great writing and journalism, award-winning writer. Um, I've seen you in documentaries. You're all over the place. Uh, but this new book uh, is this is what I wanted to start with, Caitlin, is, I mean, you, so you're acquiring all these books. You've got a really good pulse of the topics that have already been covered and maybe the kind of like little holes that haven't. And so I, that's why I'm, I'm interested. I mean, you could write about anything. You're the acquisitions editor. So like, why, <laughs> how did this book choose you? Mm. Like, why, why, why did this come up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as the fire, the fire in your bones at this moment? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, as a journalist, I'm not supposed to have a lot of fire. I'm supposed to be objective <laughs> and clear-minded, but yeah, I have been in the Christian evangelical American world my whole, well, my whole life and my whole career. I was a an editor at Christianity Today magazine for almost a decade. And while I worked at CT, our staff received you know, several tips and allegations about famous pastors, authors, people whose books were on my family's shelf growing up. I mean, people that I, whose work I was very familiar with. Um, and these were serious allegations. We had to report on them and just started to wonder. I mean, of course, on one level, you just feel so discouraged. Like, how is mm. it the case that somebody whose persona and public image seems really integrated and healthy and whole, like, how is it that this person can also um, do such, uh, you know, damaging things behind the scenes. What's, what is the disconnect, mm-hmm. but also, you know, spanning out be- beyond those particular stories asking, is there something in the water in the American church where we are inclined to put people on pedestals without offering accountability that actually sets people up to fail? Is there something in us that is looking for celebrities in our midst that wants our leaders to be celebrities of sorts? And so this is very much not just a, it's those people over there and their problem. It's like, this is an us problem. And I think for all of us who are really tired of seeing these discouraging headlines, it feels like every week, every month, there's a new headline coming out. How do we get to some of the systemic and attitudinal, um, even spiritual issues at the root level so that we can try to prevent as much as possible seeing more of these headlines? Right on. And I think before we dive into the material, uh, I've got all my um, highlights and little tabs and things that I have uh, as I read it. But, you know, you're you're very forthcoming about your own backdrop and all of this. (laughs) By the way, we we share some of the same music, you know, like, Uh uh, you know, uh, the the newsboys and even the acquire the fire. I mean, a lot lot of y'all listen to this. You have no Mm. idea what we're talking about. So just hang in there. But like, you know, you uh, even Jeff Moore in the distance. I was like, that's one of my first CDs as I went from cassette (laughs) tape to CD, you know. So Mm -hmm. we grew up in that subculture, but give people a little Mm. bit more backdrop because it also like is related to the material. Like you kind of write about that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how you found Jesus and how you kind of, had, mm-hmm. spit out the bones of some of that evangelicalism that you grew up with, but, um, you know, and it kind of gets you to the point of writing this book, but I mean, I, you obviously can't do it all, but give us a little bit more mm-hmm. about your spiritual journey. Cause that's also what we're trying to do at red letter Christians, right. Is trying to mm-hmm. like sing a better song than some of the, mm-hmm. the really, um, toxic versions that, uh, um, of our faith, you know, that are mm-hmm. out there. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a Midwesterner through and through that happens to be living in New York city. So I'm a little bit of a fish out of water, very aware of how expensive things are here. Um, And I would say grew up in a nominally Christian home. Um, We moved around a lot because of my dad's career. And then in my early teens, I think maybe like a lot of people who are tuning in, I was very much part of the nineties, early two thousands youth group culture our family started attending a United Methodist church that I would say was seeker sensitive. That was the terminology, Um, you know, great worship music, simple, clear preaching, very evangelistic and was kind of tapping into this broader national 
evangelical subculture of musicians, pastors, best-selling authors. Um, and so I came to faith in that. I actually, you mentioned Jeff Moore in the distance. I made a decision for Christ at age 13 after a Jeff Moore in the distance concert responded to a very simple gospel presentation. And, you know, we could critique all sorts of cultural trappings of that, but I, I definitely think of that as a very genuine commitment to Jesus that has borne fruit. Our church was, I would say, a mega church hopeful. I don't think we ever technically got to <laughs> the mega church level, you know, but like we really wanted to be big. I think growth and thinking of, um, you know, the excitement of the Christian life was to see growth, to see n- yeah. numerical growth. I would say more an emphasis on numerical growth than of a deeply formed spiritual formation oriented type of growth. Yeah. But certainly, you know, like the models I had for Christians doing big things for God were all Christians with some kind of platform. They were famous people. I didn't know them personally, um, but they were kind of held up as models of what it looked like to do big things for God. And I think that that spoke to a kind of evangelical impulse of fixating more on individuals than institutions. I mean, of course I was part of a church, but the energy of my everyday faith was more about these individual looking to these individuals out there doing big things from a stage or, you know, later from a screen than what was going on in the local church community. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about the mega church, I think, because you talk about Willow Creek and several of these other like very large hill songs, some of the bigger um, mega churches that have had pastors that, you know, have kind of fallen from grace or had some major abuse, uh, not just allegations, but, um, you know, th- things that they've done that. Uh, um, and but, you know, I think as you, you you begin to kind of identify the problem like early on in your book, you sort of differentiate between fame and celebrity. And you talk about celebrity, I thought it was really helpful as social power without proximity or without relationship. So Mm -hmm. say a little bit more about kind of how you define celebrity and Mm -hmm. how you distinguish it from influence or from power. Right, right. Yeah, well, I start out early on in the book by saying it is not wrong to be famous. You know, it's not wrong to have people kind of far and wide, you know, if you're a writer like I am, you know, I I write in order to communicate to change the hearts and minds of people out there. Now, my goal, I hope, my motive is to share good work in the world that is helpful to people mm-hmm. and uses the tools of media to reach people. Um, so just because someone has a following or people recognize their their face or their name, that doesn't tell us a whole lot about the motives at work. Whereas celebrity is something very modern. You know, there have always been famous people in every time and place, but celebrity really is a 19th, 20th, 21st century phenomenon because it relies on the tools of mass media to project an image of um, an image that's impressive, that draws people, that's charismatic. Oftentimes what's being presented is more a persona or a per- personality rather than the work itself. Mm-hmm. And people um, with celebrity dynamics, people will attach to you a certain kind of 
superstardom. <laughs> they, 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 they look to you to embody their values or they have these expectations of you that are beyond what most humans can, can bear. And yeah. what is, I think, especially, you know, tricky and dangerous for celebrity in the church is that celebrity requires the kind of the, the distance of the stage and the screen. And we forget that we don't actually know. I, I think it to really know someone, it means spending time with them in person, in embodied relationship and community over time to know someone's character, to know who, you know who they are. And we yeah. forget with celebrity that I don't actually, I have an impression of them. Maybe I like them, whatever, but like, I don't actually know this person. And I think in yeah. that distance comes all sorts of problems because so often it means lack of accountability. People don't actually really know the celebrity figure until, you know, it's too late. And then we realize, oh, because we didn't have accountability, this person was leading a double life and was abusing their power. They were abusing their secret, the ability to keep things secret. And then it yeah. affects this whole community or institution. Yeah. Well, and we'll get into some of that because I think that, you know, you're distinguishing between privacy and secrecy and icons versus idols. You have a lot of these like kind of ways that you, you, you show that, the, the idea of having influence isn't really the problem. It's when you lose relationship and intimacy and transparency and accountability in the midst of that. And I mean, one of the people you, you kind of uh, talk about, you, you can see some of the, the seeds of this growing around Billy Graham, right. Who, who's mm -hmm. often one mm -hmm. of the, the kind of superstars of evangelicalism. And yet you, you said in your book that uh, you quite like Billy Graham and I quite like <laughs> Billy Graham as well. Cause he led my wife to the sweet Lord Jesus. She found hmm. the Lord at a uh, Billy Graham crusade. And we've done, mm -hmm. you know, a fair amount of gentle critiques of Billy Graham, you know, and <laughs> how he might've been a little bit more present in the civil rights movement and things like that anyway. But, you know, I think that, <laughs> yes. that, um, I, I mean, folks are really hard on him for like, you know, having this rule that mm -hmm. he wouldn't be alone with women, but he also did other things like he, one of the things you talk about is the transparency that he had with finances, which I think right. a whole lot of, uh, I mean, the church would be healthier if every church, big and small, every pastor, mm -hmm. you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, much less every tele televangelist and author was transparent with their finances. So mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to say a little bit more of that, like, because because it seems like Billy Graham, like, rides the line pretty fine between, mm -hmm. um, you know, an icon versus an idol or right. you know, an influencer versus a celebrity. I mean, he, he actually, yeah. I think, in his own life is kind of trying to figure that out and made a few mistakes right. that he didn't even recognize himself as he looked in the mirror. So do you want right. to say anything more about that? I mean, as Billy Graham or kind of how this then begins to evolve. And we're going to talk about social media and like where we're at now is absolutely miles away from the Billy Graham crusades. <laughs> but I thought it was right, helpful right. to like kind of track some of the roots of this back yeah. to Billy Graham. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I, like you said, Shane, I'm, I like Billy Graham I, and not without caveats. <laughs> and, you know, Graham had his own caveats about his own life, looking back, you know, especially his involvement in, in politics, um, overly close alignment with several very troubling presidents who ended up using him, um, his lack of involvement in the civil rights movement, trying to kind of stay neutrally out of the picture, which we understand you can't really be neutral. 
on issues of racial justice. I do think of Graham as a kind of quintessential evangelical celebrity. I mean, he's arguably, maybe aside from the Pope, the most famous Christian of the last 100 years, maybe at least, yeah, in North America. But he's also known the world over. And he is really such a model evangelical celebrity because he had such a pragmatic embrace of mass media. I mean, starting with newspapers before he and his team would come to a city to do a crusade. He was using the newspapers to get the word out. Very early adopter of radio programs, television. I'm sure many people here like remember seeing an old crusade on their grandparents' television. Many people might have even, you know, come come to faith because they caught a, a crusade clip. So he really embraced mass media, like without any kind of reservation. He said, I can reach more people in my lifetime using these tools than Jesus did. Now, it's a pretty bold thing to compare yourself to Jesus and to come out the better one <laughs> in the comparison but he just he wanted to reach as many people as possible with the gospel. Yeah. And you, I think you, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I think early on, you know, you mentioned the Billy Graham rule. I'm not a fan of the Billy Graham rule. I don't think it translates well to 21st century workplace environments. Graham, you know, he was working in a time when women weren't as much in the workplace and positions of leadership. So there is a cultural context, but to his credit, you know, this this agreement that he made with some of his closest colleagues early on, right as his star was rising. Very, you know, he's very young, he's attractive, he's charismatic. He realizes, oh, I have this power over people. People flock to hear me because I'm an I really am an incredible communicator. And this could go really badly. Yeah, <laughs> this, right. Yeah. This this could, I could use this for selfish and destructive purposes. And I could be distracted by, I could really let the fame itself be the reason I'm out here rather than the gospel. So here are these limits. And as you said, you know, uh, commitment to financial transparency, commitment to always work with the local church. He didn't want the crusades kind of um, outshine the work that churches were doing in particular cities um, you know, his uh, salary would always be set by a board so that there wasn't this pressure to give at yeah. a crusade. He didn't want to use like emotionalism to kind of coerce people to give more money. So, yeah, for all the things we could say, I think he at least rightly understood the temptations that would come with celebrity and was trying early on to um, create barriers against it that's to create a, that's accountability. That's a good way to say it. That's a good way to say it. He was very aware of the dangers that came along with it. And just, I mean, like if we had a little bit more of that, uh, well, I think I think there's other evangelists like Ravi Zacharias that might have used a little bit more of the Billy Graham rule. You know, like like mm-hmm. that the fact mm-hmm. that, and you know, in our community, it's not about gender as much as we're not, it's not necessarily healthy to be alone with people that you don't know, like really Mm. well, especially Mm. when we're working with people that have been abused, folks that are victims Mm. of sex trafficking coming off of, um, you know, active addiction, things like that. So like, we've Mm. always kind of looked at Jesus sending the disciples out in pairs as Mm. just a general, like wise rule, you know, Mm -hmm. let's, let's Mm -hmm. do life together. Let's, um, and we've had plenty of people that are from outside of our neighborhood that come in and are, you know, 
maybe have vulnerabilities of of telling a story in a way that's not accurate or kind mm. of exploiting what we do. So we're pretty cautious mm-hmm. with that to try mm-hmm. to have, you know, community be a grounding point for um, all these different relationships that we're intertwined with. So I, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I think that there's, there's probably some, some, you know, good critique of some of the things that Billy Graham did, but there's a lot of wisdom in some of the things that he, um, uh, like, like, you know, just guide rails that mm-hmm, <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to keep him from, from running off the road. But, uh, right. so I wanted to talk a little bit, I mean, so we've come a long way from Billy Graham. I mean, now you, mm-hmm. like you mentioned this in your book, social media has created, I mean, an all new reality to celebrity. Some mm-hmm. of it you've kind of, you, 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 you talk about the way that, that, um, social media has, uh, democratized the celebrity pipeline so you know there's a rise in narcissism there's a drop in empathy there's it's kind of like everybody is at least a wannabe celebrity or influencer (laughs) and it's such a weird thing but one Mm -hmm. of the things that was interesting so I want to talk about social media and how it's kind of um further complicated this celebrity culture um but uh one of the things you talk about is that uh the the amount of faces and people that we're bombarded with. You said that, you know, mm-hmm. we, we have contact with more humans than any previous generation because we're just, and, and this is one thing I wanted to say, Caitlin, is that I I heard a, a neuro uh, scientists talk about how we have like a thousand face recognitions that mm. the average mind can do. And this really helped me have a little grace with myself because um, <sighs> I've, I've not recognized people when I probably should have, but he said, well, what happens is you just begin, your brain begins to like, if you haven't seen someone in a few years, they go kind mm-hmm. of in a, in a back mm-hmm. folder and other people that may not have as deep a relationship, but you're seeing them every day. They just kind of are in your front burner. And until mm-hmm. so it kind of gives you, well, we're, all have about a capacity for about a thousand people but then as i'm reading your book i'm like but what if like 500 of those people (laughs) are celebrities right that are just tv and (laughs) like like people that i'm wasting my brain space i don't even know right and so now i can only recognize 500 people i do know so anyway i wanted you to say uh, more about this idea that we're bombarded with more like more humans than we can have relationship Mm -hmm. with. And that's Mm -hmm. part of the problem, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, man, I had, I was not aware that there was a limit on the number of faces you could remember. (laughs) So that's very sobering. Anytime I'm tempted to like look up celebrity news (laughs) or scroll Instagram, you know, like, am I, am I so fascinated by these people out there who I'm told are important or who I need to know about um, that I'm actually disconnected from or distracted from the people in my embodied life and community. Mm. Um, and I think that that is a real, that's a real temptation, both on the consumer side. How am I spending my time and attention? Where am I, um, where are my affections, you know, but also why is it that I know more factoids about this particular celebrity than literally the people who live in my apartment building? Isn't that a little bit weird? But yeah. also if you are on social media and, you know, maybe you, you have a message or you have work you want to share, whatever, how is the, how is the platform itself fostering um, celebrity dynamics within you? So that is something that, I mean, very ironically, as I'm launching a book last summer about <laughs> that's, that's critiquing celebrity, I'm also my publisher and I 
are also hoping that I will share about the book on social media, that I will um, hopefully- Get a few blurbs on the back from names people (laughs) recognize, right? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like I recognize that I am, because of the nature of book publishing and the consumer uh, marketplace uh, realities of how books are sold, I'm participating in a subculture that I'm pretty uncomfortable with. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, thinking back to the first few weeks of the book being out, and this should be a time of celebration and wow, you've done all this work. You want to share it with people in hopes that it helps people and helps the church get healthier. And then I'm meanwhile, like checking my Instagram feed to see if people liked, you know, it, it's, um, it is, uh, pervasive and pernicious and it requires, if you are on social media, a real, um, a, a deep kind of desire to do the inner work to keep your motives pure. And maybe yeah. even going back to Graham, maybe it's accountability. Maybe it's, um, you know, every weekend, my family members and I, my community members, I, we agree to turn off our phones for full day. Maybe it's um, time commitments. Like I'm only spending this much time on these platforms. I just think that the platforms feed something in us that is longing for validation, um, longing for attention that sometimes we become what other people want us to be. And I think if you are a leader and you have a prophetic message, recognizing sometimes you're going to have something to say that everybody wants to hear that isn't going to make you the most popular on these platforms. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's good. Using, using the platforms in a way that is integrated with your vocational call and whatever prophetic work you're doing so that you don't just become what people want to hear and see. Yeah, great. And so just in case folks are tuning in um, or listening to this, the recording, we're talking with Caitlin Beatty, uh, who wrote the book that we're talking about tonight is Celebrities for Jesus. And, uh, you know, one of the things you talk about in here is is that the medium does not just transmit the message, but it mm-hmm. changes the message. So there, there's this, you know, this point where you're talking about um the 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 medium itself and and you know some people like Billy Graham so they want to you know we I want to preach to more people than Jesus I think of our friend you know I mean he's one of the most humble people I know but presiding Bishop Michael Curry of the Episcopal Church mm, mm-hmm. his uh, sermon at the royal wedding had like a billion people listen to it it's the most listened right. to sermon in history and thank wow. God it was a really beautiful one you know it was about mm-hmm. love and humility and so like but I you know I think that you, you're onto something when you're talking about like when our our goal is to reach as many people as possible, this happens in the mega church too. I had experienced it at Willow Creek, where it's like things become a mile long and an inch deep. You know, mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. less depth to our spirituality. It's less about discipleship and more about um, sound bites and and mm-hmm. things. So so um, how how you know dig a little bit deeper on that mm-hmm. like how you feel like this idea of just reaching the biggest mess- message with the biggest microphone how does right. it actually change the message and not mm-hmm. just transmit it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah well there there are a couple different parts of that question there's the emphasis on numbers which you know as americans in a capitalistic society we are we're taught from a very early age we want things we want our businesses, our organizations, our churches, we want things to grow um, in building size, budget, and number of people 
in the seats, right? That growth is the goal and the sign that we're doing something right. Um, I think about how growth can feel uh, like blessing <laughs> and I get it. You know, I, we all want some kind of tangible markers that the work that we do matters. If you do have an evangelistic heart or part of a ministry where you're trying to reach people, of course you want to, you, 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 part of you wants to reach as many people as possible. And then these tools of media come along and say, we can amplify this by a thousand, you know, we can, yeah. we can help you reach so many more people um, than you ever could on your own if face to face. So I get the impulse I also think we are in a time, or I wonder if we're in a time when enough Americans uh, in the church and outside the church are saying something about this numerical only emphasis is creating bad fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, that is that is over fixated on profit, that is over fixated on numbers, but not on people as sheep, as as people to be cared for, caring for people takes time. It's inefficient. Um, it doesn't always fit our program. And the mega church has done, you know, a lot of work in reaching people. But I think, I wonder if there's a generation now that's like, I don't want to attend this church anymore because what I'm being, what I'm hearing week in and week out is not taking me deeper into the life of Christian faith. You know, it's, yeah. it's as you said, Shane, it's sound bites. It's things that play really well as a social media clip, but don't actually draw me into deep embedded community, which is where I think you know, the Christian tradition would say that is where the transformation happens. It's, it's yeah. in person, it's with people, it's life together. And gosh, that's a hard sell <laughs> for a yeah, lot of us yeah. in the United States because, you know, people are hard and complicated and messy and life together is hard and complicated and messy. And sometimes it feels better to pop into church and pop out and get your felt needs met. So some of this, of course, isn't just about people who are leading mega churches and how they measure growth. It's about us. It's about yeah. a consumer felt need approach to our spiritual lives. Um, we want things to be comfortable and easy, and it can be a hard sell to call people into community with you know real people who are deeply flawed and annoy yeah. us sometimes. <laughs> and some of this we are exporting. Like, I mean, there is like a, there's obviously mm. like a Christian industrial complex in the United States, but we've also sort of spread that around the world. And I mean, I remember being in Rwanda and it's like Joyce Meyer owned like an entire television channel, like not, not show, but like, wow. <laughs> you, know, like that, you know, and so <laughs> there's millions of folks that know some of these celebrity folks, which is, which is right. also why it's so devastating when someone like, you know, evangelist Ravi Zacharias, you know, has this, this terrible mm-hmm. abuse uh, record and, and everybody finds out like after he's already passed away or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, so talk a little yeah. bit though about like this dynamic of, I, this was really interesting in your book. You talk about the power of the individual. Mm-hmm. is more than the power of the institutions. And I think this is something that's like at play in our culture right now outside the mm-hmm. church as well is where mm-hmm. like you sort of think of some of our more charismatic political figures that right. are more powerful than the Congress itself. You know, right. <laughs> like, right. sometimes they have a disproportionate amount of power for good or for bad. But you kind mm-hmm. of point that out in the, in the church that what began to happen is that individuals 
um, eclipsed is the word that you use the, the institutions that they started mm-hmm. and um, the institutions end up serving the individuals rather than the individuals. Right. And then when these individuals do something, sometimes a minor error, sometimes it's downright, uh, a, you know, abuse of someone, then like the fallout, the collateral damage is massive. Right. right? right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just, you you just summarized what's really at stake. So as you said, there's a decline in trust of institutions at all levels of American life, um, everywhere from politics to our educational system to um, you know academia. Uh, these these places where traditionally 50, 75 years ago in American life, people felt like they could. I'll just take um, like news media as an example. You know, most Americans listen to the same, they tuned into the same three nightly news channels. And and there was great trust (laughs) that what they were hearing was verified and corroborated and true. And we all had this kind of shared narrative, not all Americans, but a majority of Americans. The conversation now about disinformation and who, who, which media outlet can you trust um, it shows this breakdown in a kind of common journalistic institutions that people uh, kind of turn to and put their faith in. Now we're all more inclined actually um, to get our news from like individual reporters and people we follow on social media who we really like. And yeah, I do that too, but I think it speaks to um, the ways that individuals, especially individuals who are charismatic who look good on screen, who are great speakers. I think that's a what that's a really key element of this when we're thinking about the church and organization Christian organizations, the the power of the um oratory event uh is is central. And actually evangelicals have understood that to be kind of the central event at church. The the sermon from the one person is the main event. Um, I certainly grew up with that understanding that the sermon was the main event. And so what ends up happening in a lot of institutions, as you said, is that um, over time, the individual leader is more trusted than the institution itself, more using uh, Willow Creek as as an example. It's been really hard for Willow Creek to disentangle its, its institutional life and identity from the identity of of Bill Hybels. So Bill Hybels was the visionary founding pastor for decades. A lot of people at the church were at the church because they really liked Bill and they really trusted Bill. Mm-hmm. And this is not an argument to say we should never trust our leaders, but it is to say we need both individual and institutional um, trust and forms of accountability. It's when yeah. the individual is is has this outsized power over the institution that you see such collateral damage when the in- individual falls. Because how many people now? How many of them even knew Willow Creek apart from Bill Hybels? It's it's virtually indistinguishable. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's a lot at stake. Uh, for churches and organizations trying to, you know, put the pieces together after after scandal and failure. Yeah, and I want us to talk just a little bit about like how this. I mean, th- this is a human problem, but it is also a Christian problem, right? Like this is in the church, but y- I mean, you think about some of the 
ways that celebrities have abused uh, their power. Harvey Weinstein, you mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. like Bill Cosby, Jeffrey Epstein, the mm-hmm. reality TV star president that we had who literally said stars can do whatever they want, you know, and uh, right, like, right. like justified his his assault of women. Like, so like, the, the, um, but then you, you kind of feel like um, there there's a little bit different bar. You would hope the church would act a little differently, like, um, and that we wouldn't sort of um, give in to this narcissism mm-hmm. of like individual person. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and you yet, like in your book, one of the things that you say is that it's only kind of gotten worse. I mean, we think of mm-hmm. like, uh, you, you said the sense of losing power of the church of the church kind of struggling to reach the next generation. A lot of churches shrinking the Southern Baptist being mm-hmm. total disarray. Like there's mm-hmm. actually the opposite effect where there's this, this, clinging to the strong right. like the, right. the, the yes. idea that we need a Justin Bieber or we need someone <laughs> to validate our faith to the general yes. public. So yes, yes. It's like um, exactly what we don't need, but there's this kind right. of like clinging to that idolatry, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. want to say more about that. Cause I thought that was really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right that, you know, we look at other realms of society and we think, you know, many white Christians in America feel beleaguered or they, they fear losing power. They feel, they fear they're being kept out of the public square and gosh, all these other realms of society, they have their, they have their strong men, you know, they have their people who can go on television or social media or whatever and say something confident and gather millions to rallies and, we need, you know, instead of questioning <laughs> whether that desire to rally around a central figure to give that person a kind of ultimate or allegiance or loyalty is good or bad, or is in fact idolatrous, we say we want that too. Like we we want the person we can rally around who's going to stand up for the faith in the public square. Yeah. Um, so I think you see this, you know, I, I, I arguably Mark Driscoll at least was a celebrity who um, gathered a lot of attention and following because he was this brash, masculine, arrogant, like it was like he embodied all the kind of worst elements of American imperialistic masculinity. And he was also, you know, ostensibly talking about Jesus. We'll take that, you know. Um, at Hillsong, uh, you know, church net global church network that has been in massive crisis for the last several years, you know, several of its pastors were almost essentially hired to be celebrities and to yeah. befriend Justin Bieber or the Kardashians to befriend actual Hollywood celebrities, almost to give the church a kind of cultural validation. Like if we're the kind of church that can attract Justin Bieber or Kim Kardashian or whatever, then we know that we have this cultural power, this cultural credibility. And sure, you know, that's not the point. The point is to draw people to Jesus. But how at some point, if you're so fixated on celebrity and cool church, doesn't that become the point? You know, it's very ends justify the means thinking. And I think it does come down to a real, um, a lack of confidence in God to preserve the people of God 
in the next generation, in the coming well, generation. You, you're getting to preaching now. We're going, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, gonna keep, we're gonna keep leaning into that. But I, I gotta say, like, it is amazing how resilient some of this stuff is. Like to mm-hmm. where, I mean, literally, you think there's no way that Mark Driscoll can come back, and then, right? My gosh, like the Terminator, there he is. You know, and now Sean Foyt, <laughs> like literally. <laughs> is amplifying like this stuff, you know? And I mean, I sent Sean a message when he, when he went to interview Ted Nugent, I'm like, this is an unapologetic white supremacist, you know, like Mm -hmm. these are the people that you're aligning with. And so there's this problem, right? That it does so much damage to the gospel. So we're going to talk about that. But I think part of it too, is you, you, um, you talked about that. This is one of your lines. You said the problem with ministering to the 1% is that once you're among the 1%, it can be hard to stay in touch with the 99%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. like almost the exact opposite of Jesus, right? Like <laughs> does not go to the centers of power to like right. all of the rich folks. I mean, they they lean in some of them to Jesus, but he's on the margins. He's born right. in brown skin, about, you know, Palestine with, you know, as a refugee, homeless in a major, I, every way is putting this, the, the, the center on the margins. And, right. right. Um, and it, you know, I, I've been a very, uh, a, a big critic of young life, even though I loved it when I was in high school because of the key kid philosophy, right. If you reach mm. the cheerleaders and the, you know, uh, the, the, football team and the quarterback, then you'll get the whole high school, you know, and there's so, so oh, wow. many problems with that philosophy. Right. And I you know, literally, they've rethought that they've apologized and said, <laughs> we, you know, we're doing it differently, but this is still what a lot of the church does, right. They're like, if we can meet, if we can reach the celebrities, if we can mm-hmm. reach, you know, if Justin Bieber will just show up for worship, then like oh, mm-hmm. the whole world will come to its knees. And there is a form of idolatry in it. So mm-hmm. I want us to talk about mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the better, the, mm. the better faith, you know, because you really get there. Mm. You don't just like spend the whole book analyzing the problem, but you really offer some solutions. I mean, starting mm. with relationship again, you know, one of the things mm. that you said that the more you know about people, the less you know them. Mm-hmm. And I think of like like Michael W. I mean, uh, not Michael, uh, uh, like um, Michael Jackson, like was so mm. it felt like I didn't know mm-hmm. him, but you know, he seemed so long. Chris Farley, like, mm. <laughs> right. Like, was like these these lies prints you know so many of these celebrities they end mm. up like it almost feels like there's such a loneliness because there's a lack of real relationships and friendships right. everybody knows about them but not many people know them right um, right and so you you kind of bring us full circle back to the like relationships and love mm-hmm. like we're made to know mm-hmm. and to be known to love and be loved and nothing virtual and narcissistic like nothing can replace that right like right. This is the heart of the gospel right yeah well first of all I had no idea that that was a strategy of young life. I didn't, I knew that it was for popular kids, but I didn't realize it was an actual strategy. Yeah, so that's even a name for it. Key kid philosophy. Yeah. Ooh, um, I was not in young life because I was a band geek. Um, yeah, I, you know, I asked a, <clears throat> a mentor of mine who's written about celebrity power in the church. Like as I was writing this book, like, because honestly, Shane, most of the book is me trying to assess and diagnose a problem. And truthfully, I don't think the celebrity problem is going away. You know, there's part of me that hopes that maybe we're starting to see some turning, but um, 
this has just been such an area of the American church that has mimicked the world instead of critiqued it. And I do think, you know, at the end of the day, it does come down to cultural power and seeking power, mm-hmm. seeking to be at the center rather than seeking to be at the margins. And I don't know how much of the church is willing to give up power. But when I asked him, my this mentor, like, where do we go? Like, what is the solution? And he said, friendship, you know, which mm-hmm. just seems so like friendship. Like, well, yeah, of course, friendship is great. But if you think about, um, you know, people in your life who know the great things about you and the not great things about you and have journeyed with you for years and have been with you in the times where you were at your height of glory and success and maybe times mm-hmm. when you felt deep failure and uh, depression and loneliness. And if those people can show up and keep showing up out of this sense of um, commitment to you, to your, yeah. to your good and flourishing, gosh, if I have five people in my life like that, by the time I'm, I don't know, 65, 75, I will feel very, like my life has been very rich. And I think what can happen when you said it really well, you said those are the people that nothing can impress them and nothing can shock them. Right. (laughs) And you said, you don't need another fan. You need another friend. You need a friend. Right. Right. uh, Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to the psychological and spiritual toll of celebrity, I do think that, um, over time, it can just be the case that you find people, your relationships start to become transactional. You know, people yeah. turn to you because of something that they want a piece of your power. They want, they, they want something from you. Um, they want to be around your power. When you look at, you know, celebrity pastor dynamics and they maybe have an accountability structure in the church, they have an elder board or board of directors or whatever. But then when you dig into the the real like interpersonal dynamics of the board, you realize, oh, these are, these are this guy's like, yes, man, <laughs> you know, these people yeah. want their own, they want to be celebrity pastors themselves, or they're hitching their own sense of glory or Christian success onto this person. So how can you say a hard word to, to the pastor when you feel like you might have something to lose once their power diminishes, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I really do think that some of this, is about making sure um, that people, including and especially people with platforms, can find places where they can really show up as themselves and be deeply known and deeply loved. Um, but then I, I just also think some of this is getting back to a vision of ordinary faithfulness, you know, not mm-hmm. seeking to live out a faith among the 1%, but being content with a kind of um, Christian witness that is not about making a splash. It's not about growing, but it is about creating deep transformation um, in the communities where we live and move and have our being. And yeah. that can be very unglamorous work. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like it may not be posted on social media. It may not ha- seem to have a big effect, but I really think that those seeds of faithfulness and care are kind of what hold the world together. You know, yeah. people who who faithfully, quietly serve and are content with that, they hold a lot of our lives together and we don't even realize it. 
Yeah, there were there were a lot of things I thought of as I was reading, especially the tail end of the book, where you you kind of invite us to you know think beyond this uh, um, celebrity culture. And I I thought of um, um, well, there's a great small is beautiful. You ever read that book? There's a mm. great project on that. But this idea, you know, mm. Dorothy Day, who's a real inspiration for me, she was a very big critic of the big. Um, uh, and, I mean, in every way, like mm-hmm. government, she was, you know, kind of a Catholic anarchist. And um, and she um, uh, she said our goal is not to get bigger and bigger, but smaller and smaller. You know, and mm-hmm. a lot of the images that she pointed to of Jesus mm-hmm. are things you can't even see, you know, light in the darkness and uh, leaven, you know, yeast and and mm-hmm. and, and um uh, the mustard seed, you know, which was right. kind of an invasive plant, like, um, and so this this idea that we're we're to live in contagious but small ways, you know, beautiful ways in the world, and um, and I thought of Jesus, you know, you you point this out, kind of in the book, you you, you sort of wink at it that <laughs> Jesus had like a dozen friends, <laughs> and uh, he might right. have had a lot of fans and a lot of enemies, but he only had a handful of really close friends, and some of those didn't even end great. I mean, one betrayed him, <laughs> one denied him, one took his own life. I mean, some of these mm-hmm. stories were tragic, like they were imperfect mm-hmm. relationships mm-hmm. too. You know, even mm-hmm. even though he was the embodiment of perfection and love, like. The, the, the people he was around, like they didn't love him perfectly, but, you know, here he is modeling like this intimate community that mm-hmm. everything came out of that, you know? <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was like, if Jesus did that, like if, right. if Jesus lived intimately in these little right. towns he went to, like right. and Capernaum, like that we read the like, you know, capital nouns of the of the you, you know the gospels like these are little bitty towns like Capernaum had 400 families in it or something mm-hmm. you know it's like mm-hmm. it, it helps me like remember that this is a gospel that's grounded in mm-hmm. real relationships and the god that is so big um, right. and beyond our imagination um in some ways like puts on flesh, takes on a name, puts skin on. And that's part of the point, right? Is that like, mm-hmm. actually, God is um, very human, uh, you know, can it gives us the way to model the, our lives after, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's mm-hmm. the total subversion and rejection of power, right? Uh, right. I mean, from, right. The, from birth to death and resurrection, right? Yeah. Right, right. I mean, I even think about the fact that Jesus you know, didn't enter public ministry until he was 30. And we might think today, like, oh man, what a waste. Like he could, <laughs> with his mass, you know, he was, okay. He was God. He knew all things. He like, he could have been so much more effective and efficient, but you know, God in Christ spent most of his life in relative obscurity. Like what, mm. what do we even make of that? And I write a little bit about, um, you know, Jesus's temptation in the wilderness and a kind of refusal. Henry Nowen writes really beautifully about um, basically Jesus refuses to be relevant, spectacular, and I forget the third one, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Powerful, but we can understand these three temptations basically as Satan offering like the king kingdom of the world, um, you know, this kind of worldly power, and Jesus might think, oh, I could use, I could use godly thing, you know, I could use these uh, means to accomplish godly purposes. But 
we know that the way you do things, <laughs> how you go about things, even good things really matters. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to play by the rules of the world to accomplish my, my mission and purpose on earth. Like my, mm. my purpose and mission is to obey the father. And that, that might very well mean like, I mean, you know, in one real sense, it meant facing death by being crucified <laughs> by mm. the, by the Roman empire. Like, um, so if this is how God, God reveals himself to humanity, like who are we to expect that we could accomplish godly things by just following the way the world thinks of success and accomplishment? So good. Well, this hour flew by and I'm going to have to say that I hope you all will read the other stuff that Caitlin's doing too is just wonderful. And we're going to try to do all we can to stay, uh, um, get more of Caitlin Beatty uh, at Red Letter Christians, but Celebrities for Jesus. This is the book we've been talking about. If you haven't picked it up, check it out. And um, uh, any any like uh, closing thoughts that we didn't uh, get to that you want and then i've got a i've got a lovely benediction that i learned from one of my celebrity <laughs> friends that i'll tell you about in just a second but i want to give you the closing word caitlin as a uh, wonderful non-celebrity ordinary christian mm. writer and um mm -hmm. and spokesperson so thank you so much mm. for joining me anything you want to close this with I don't think so. Um, I guess thank you for allowing me to get fiery. That's not <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not my modus operandi. But sometimes when I'm talking about this stuff, it comes out. Um, but I just really appreciate you hosting this conversation, and I hope that it's been helpful to to the people who have tuned in tonight. Yeah, so good. This is so good. I may still have so many questions. Like I, you know, just thinking about all this uh, terrible undermining of democracy and things happening in in nashville around and mm. and then you know amy grant showed up at the capitol and i'm like i'm so glad that she did like we've been trying yeah. to get her her and dolly mm. parton and a few others to come out on the death penalty you know mm. like, but mm. then i was on a call the other day with kim kardashian and she's speaking about the death penalty and i'm like Yes, this is beautiful. You know, I've busted on Kim Kardashian from time to time. So I'm going to like step back a little, have a little humility and all openness. But, and, you know, and then, you know, and, and Justin Bieber made uh, clothes for my friend Q, at, uh, who's a pastor on Skid Row. Like he's raising mm. all this money for him. So I'm like, I think we all need a little humility right now. And I think like, hmm. probably it's probably lonely sometimes to be like uh, mm -hmm. Kim Kardashian or Justin Bieber. So this whole thing that you're identifying, it's not like, just bad for the fans. I think it's bad for the celebrities. And so I'm mm. so glad that you're like mm -hmm. helping us get after it and uh, mm -hmm. figure how we can be more faithful to Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. So, okay. So one of my friends who is a musician, he's, he's actually lived here with us for a while. So to me, he's just a friend, but he's Aaron Weiss. And he mm -hmm. was a part of a band, Me Without You. And he really, mm -hmm. he really, really struggled with like all, everything we're talking about. In fact, um, mm. and it ended up, singing at Katie and I's wedding and he's still a really close friend of mine and he's no longer like touring. And I think some of that was just, he was always had this kind of challenge, but he taught me this prayer and I thought it was great to close mm. this with Caitlin is, um, mm -hmm. uh, cause in, in a lot of ways he did have a lot of fans and yet mm -hmm. he was really grounded in community. He has real mm. friends too. And I'm mm -hmm. honored to be one of those, but he said, there's this prayer. I don't know where he learned it, but he said, dear God, forgive me for thinking too highly of myself. Dear God, 
forgive me for thinking too lowly of myself. Hmm. Dear God, forgive me for thinking of myself so much. Mm. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of what, let's just, let's move on beyond mm. ourselves, but like mm. know that we are loved, but know mm. that we are here for something bigger than ourselves. So y'all, mm-hmm. what a great hour together. Thank you, Caitlin. And thank you, you everybody, for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.